in, my friends. I've been told that I tend to live in a different world than you. Told by you, I suppose. I've been told that my stories create lovely fantasy worlds. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about fantasy. The very, very sad thing about this word is the very, very strong implication of the thing being unreal. That by listening to my stories you are escaping to false worlds. Tragic. Tragic and devastating. These worlds are not real to you. They're very real to me. They are far more real than your world, where no one is there to meet me and tell me stories. These stories come from collectibles of mine, from creatures who stopped to tell me about the world in which they live. They stopped to notice me and share something with me. That is so much more than I can say about you all. And let us be completely frank, your world is not real. Your world is full of the artificial. Let me tell you about my real world. It is cold, and it is dark and damp, and I am alone in it. Except for the occasional visitor, who I fear with every fiber of my being until he leaves again and I am alone again which is even worse. And when I escape to your real world, which is a fantasy to me, a surreal place with artificial light, sound, smells, and artificial goodness and camaraderie that doesn't exist, but you believe very strongly that it does, I find it even more cold, dark, and lonely. Fantasy is tricky. It is deceptive. You think you're going to get away and feel better, but then you end up feeling even more empty than when you first went into that fantasy, because you are reminded of what you do not have. And the reminder of that sends us into an identity frenzy. Where am I the real me? In my reality or in my fantasy? Can the me I am in my imagination possibly be real if she does not even exist in reality? For example, I am a powerful ancient thing that could wreak havoc on the lives of all those around me and lay you and your artificial world to waste if I simply deigned to bother. But if I hide that side of me from you as I walk through your world, as I hide in my white linoleum basement, as I speak to you of lovely, imaginary things, then does it even exist? Why would I want it to? I suppose I don't. Because I don't want to be that. Not right now. I want to speak to you. But more importantly, I want you to speak to me. What do you want to be? Are you being it? Do you want to change? Sometimes we can change ourselves, but 
Sometimes change happens whether we want it to or not. As was the case in the story I'm about to tell you. There was a young woman who lived in a simple place. A simple place with simple people. She knew everybody. She liked everybody just fine. But even more than them, she loved stories. She loved reading books and imagining beautiful, strange, dangerous, and inspiring places with beautiful, strange, dangerous, and inspiring people in them. Even at her age, where she was meant to marry and settle down and put aside interests like reading and loving fantastical stories of people and places that did not exist, she persisted in this passion. This passion for somewhere else. Something else. Something different than this. She was outside one bleak and grey day, having a stroll just outside of her hometown, her head in the clouds as her feet ambled her home for the evening nonetheless. There was a mother at home that would want her home for dinner. There were books at home that wanted her to read them. There was a ceiling at home that wanted her to stare mindlessly at it for another grey and dreamless night. But then she heard a voice close by say, quietly. Would you like to hear a story, my dear? It was an old man, sitting on a tree stump just by the road outside of the city walls. He wore a torn and tattered cloak, and his kind face was partly covered with a hood. He sat by a little fire, keeping his hands warm, surrounded by several bags that were overflowing with interesting, colorful things. She took a seat by him at his fire and nodded. Once upon a time, he began, a beautiful princess lived in a beautiful kingdom where she loved a beautiful prince, and they lived peaceful, gleeful lives where every day was full of love and flowers and cupcakes. They were to be wed and she was to be queen of this vast, peaceful, gleeful kingdom. She was to inherit it all, and share it with her prince. And they were to live happily ever after, until, that is, someone else came along. A sorcerer he was, ambitious and clever and cold-hearted, many said. Yet he had a softness in his heart for this princess, and so he took her and locked her away in his dark, lonesome castle that hid in the heart of an ancient forest. And there she waited for her prince to come and save her. And all he had to remember her by, at this point, the old man removed from his cloak a little, beautifully carved wooden item, was this music box. The girl took it in her hands. She opened it and it played a sad and delicate theme, as a small carving of a princess in a black gown spun round and round. It's beautiful, she said. It's yours, the old man said with a smile. And she went home with her strange new prize. She had dinner with her mother and her father, and she said nothing of it to anyone. 
It was a lovely, magical, secret thing that she put next to her bedside as she let it sing her to sleep. The next morning she woke up after her night was remarkably full of dreams of a lovely, faceless princess and her handsome prince, of a beautiful, peaceful kingdom, and of a dark, mysterious villain in a dark, mysterious castle. What happened to them? Surely there must be more to their story. She needed to know, desperately. If she had taken the time to notice as she prepared for the day, ate a quick breakfast, kissed her mother and father goodbye, and rushed out the door, she would have seen that there was a strange vine growing around the front door and making its way into her home. There seemed to be just a little less light coming in through the windows. There were a few more spiders in the kitchen this morning. Just strange little things. She made her way to the road just outside of town, and, sure enough, the old man was sitting there. Good day, she said, and took her seat at his fire. I was hoping you could tell me more about that story. The old man grinned, and it seemed there was something less kind and gentle in his face today, and there was just a little more youth in his face and something else behind his smile and his eyes that she hadn't observed yesterday. He sat a little straighter, looked a little stronger, and he kept something dark and strange hidden behind that grin, just barely. But most importantly, he carried on with his story. The prince searched and searched for his princess, but to no avail. For you see, the forest was hidden by the most remarkable shield. It was cloaked in a fog that kept it from existing in the prince's realm. But it wasn't quite in another realm, either. The castle wavered between the boundaries of one reality and another. How could he find someone who barely existed in his own realm? Such was the power and the cleverness of the sorcerer who every night would set out a gorgeous table and have a civilized dinner with the princess. She would acquiesce, and though the sorcerer would rant and rail at her for refusing to marry him and be his queen, and she would rant and rail at him for keeping her from her kingdom and her loved ones, every night they would return for dinner together. For, though neither had what they wanted— they both knew unequivocally that they had no one else for company. I could do this forever, they would both say, too stubborn to yield. The girl didn't even notice that the sun had begun to go down. The old man's grin dropped from his face as, with piercing, clear blue eyes, he said in a dark voice that was nowhere near as frail and gentle as the one from yesterday. Time to get home, my dear. She did, and she was home in time for dinner with her mother, but her father, it seemed, was nowhere to be found. Will he be home soon? She asked, but her mother merely shrugged and continued to eat her dinner. Is everything all right? She asked, and her mother brushed off her concerns and assured her all was as it should be. 
She noticed a drip coming from the ceiling, landing on the table between their dinner plates. It came from what looked like to be a dark patch of mold. A few more spiders in the kitchen now. And that vine had grown a few inches longer leading into their hallway. And yet her mother was still unconcerned. She went to bed, dozing off again to the sound of her beautiful music box. She dreamed this time of a dark, frightening castle that was empty and cold and lonely. She screamed in it, and no one came. No one heard her. Only shadows and echoes and birds and cobwebs and spiders... until she awoke the next day, and she needed to know more. She needed to hear the rest of the story. She went to the road outside of town, and the man was there, sitting on his tree stump. Good day, she said out of necessity, sitting down and joining him. Please tell me the rest. And he grinned. His hair, which only now she noticed was dark and not gray as she somehow had previously thought, fell in front of his face, obscuring his eyes, but just showing that grin. That devilish grin that both wanted and withheld. Had he really had all his teeth before? His hands seemed more arthritic before, not so strong, not so young. Never mind. The story was all that mattered. He continued to tell it. The prince practically went mad with frustration at scouring every inch of his country and not being able to find the sorcerer or his princess. Years and years and years and many more years after that passed. And do you know what the beautiful prince did? He asked the girl. She shook her head, he continued. He found another princess. He ruled another kingdom. He had a family. He grew old, and he died. And do you know what the beautiful princess did? He asked her again. She shook her head, her eyes both devastated and furious at the story. He continued. She stayed young. She stayed in the castle. She never changed. Her sorcerer never changed. Every day she spent in a lonely, frightening castle by herself, and every night she spent bitterly pleading and fighting with a cruel, heartless villain, over and over and over and over. Stop it, the girl interrupted, standing, carelessly knocking over the dying campfire. It had become dark out. She couldn't see his face, but the old man stood up and all she saw was his cloaked silhouette as he towered over her. He was very tall. He was very large. He stood straight and strong, and she knew by his stature that this was no old man at all. She ran. She ran home through the dark, noticing for the first time how many more skeletal, leafless trees there were on her path, how many more bats and crows seemed to fly through the night. How empty the streets were. Did it always look this way at night? No, it was more dangerous, more dark, more labyrinthine. She ran into her home and slammed the door shut. 
She called for her mother, but no one came. She called for her father, but no one came. No one was there. She was all alone in her home. She ran up to her bedroom and locked the door, crawling into bed. She ran up to her bedroom and locked the door. Crawling into bed, she shook from fear and wondered at what could possibly be going on. It all felt like some kind of terrible dream. The world was the same but different. It was real, yet it felt surreal. She tried to imagine where her parents might be, but the more that she thought about them, the less she was able to picture their faces or remember what they were like at all. Her mind was a confused hive of questions and fears, and the only thing she felt could calm it down was the sound of that music box. And so she wound it up. She played it and let it sing her to sleep. No dreams, only hours and hours of empty sleep. When she awoke the next morning, the music box was gone. It was dark and terribly gray out. She stepped outside of her bedroom, and her home was entirely different now. The walls were dark and gray. As she touched them, she realized they were stone. The vine had multiplied and spread everywhere along the walls. Spiders and cobwebs were in every corner. The windows were much smaller and let in much less light. She flinched as a bird screamed and flew away above her head in the ceiling, which was much, much higher than she remembered. She stepped in what was almost a pond, which was being filled by a steady stream of water pouring in from above her. Birds stopped and drank at it. Her home was larger, darker, more ancient, more primal, and much more empty. She stood in the hall at the foot of the twisting stairs. Were they always like that? And looked down at the black velvet gown she was wearing. Oh, God. Forever, we said. A voice came from behind her, dark and terrifying, and yet terribly familiar. We could do this forever. She turned around and there he was, not old and frail at all, but tall and strong and in his prime. He wore no hood over his cruel, unyielding face, and she knew him instantly. He took the music box from his robes and wound it up, placing it on the middle of the dinner table. He grinned. See you at dinner. Tell me, my friend, was she really a princess, or was she just some girl? Which do you think would she rather be? What would I rather be? I think they're all a part of who we are. 
the world inside our minds, the world outside our minds, they must contribute to one another. I think you've stepped inside mine tonight. You're welcome. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for stopping by and listening to episode 13 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, your friend, your host, your relaxy time buddy, you know? It's me. Hey. Thanks for listening. I've got a few things to talk about today before I send you off to think about this second cyclical paradox story I've provided you with now. First off, the play I'm in called Punk Rock, produced by The Howland Company. We've had a great few previews and a fantastic opening night. If you want to see this play that people are calling intense, moving, and electrifying, you can catch it until April 14th at Crow's Theatre. That is, if you're in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. You can go to crowstheatre.com or my company's webpage, howlandcompanytheatre.com, to book tickets. If you are enjoying the podcast, I want to just share a few ways you can help to ensure its longevity and success. First off, rate, review, subscribe. These are all things you can do for free. If you could rate and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else, that would be amazing. I was really lucky to have the show featured as podcast of the day on this awesome website called Podknife on Friday last week. It's a great podcast information and review site, so you could stop by, create an account, and leave a review for us there. Next, you can listen to the show on this wonderful app called Radio Public. I'm part of their paid listens program, so though it's absolutely free for you to use, every listen through their app actually works towards supporting a podcaster financially. Everyone benefits. So if you can, please listen and subscribe on Radio Public. Also, share. Word of mouth is so very important for this stuff. If you like the show, tell a friend or share on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and we have a Facebook page as well. Reach out anytime, I will answer. You can also email any questions or thoughts to darkcoldnightpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe I'll answer them on the show. That could be a new segment. Finally, I have a Patreon page if you do want to support financially. I'm at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Thank you so, so much, guys. The support I've been receiving about the show has been really encouraging and wonderful. Um, looking forward to getting started on next week's episode, in fact. Hope you had a great holiday weekend and April Fool's. Catch you guys later. Take care. Take care.